hello and welcome to another episode of Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Wyma. And I want to just remind you guys to come to our website and sign up for some, uh, we have some events coming up and some special things coming on. So please sign up for the, uh, our mailing list. We'll be sending out some emails pretty soon about that. But now back to the main show. I have uh, Connor Rigby on the show. I hope I said your name right. I'm, I'm sure that should be good. Um, he is a software engineer at Binary Noggin. Uh, now, the interesting thing is that he is not a Flutter developer, as maybe you guys may uh, be used to over here. He is a Elixir developer, but more so uh, using Elixir uh, with Nerves, which is like a embedded development, which means he probably has to do a little bit of C and C++. I think he did some Rust also, uh, maybe at least played with it a bit. Um, but anyways, you can talk about more of that yourself, but just want to give a quick intro. But the reason that we bring you on is, of course, is to talk about, uh, you know, when you ported the Flutter engine. But yeah, let me just give a quick intro about yourself, talk more about who you are and kind of what brought you here. Cool. Yeah, I, uh, like you said, Connor Rigby, a generic software developer. I mostly do embedded stuff with, uh, with like you said, uh, a framework called Nerves. For like embedded devices, you might uh, consider Raspberry Pi, BeagleBone, etc. Um, yeah, we work for a company called Binary Noggin. We do software consultancy, uh, kind of full stack stuff. All of all of the things that you would need to uh, write or to get your application out into the world. Um, not a ton of Flutter. I'm still sort of learning it. I've, I find it really interesting, but I haven't written a ton of actual Flutter code myself. Um, I've, I've been digging a little deeper than the actual Flutter itself, working with the engine and stuff like that. I've been having a good time with it so far. Yeah. So uh, I think that maybe we can start from the kind of like from the beginning, like what, what got you onto this whole project to begin with? Yeah, so I worked with a company called SmartRent. Uh, they do smart home hardware and software. Uh, one of the new products that they were sort of developing or starting to work with is a, uh, a smart thermostat. So, you, you know, something you have on your wall that controls your uh, HVAC, like heat and AC and such. Uh, they wanted to leverage like sort of the modern app development platform. So they were looking at like React Native and, and Flutter, of course, as their uh, framework of choice for their UI on, on the device itself. So you can imagine you're um, sort of similar to like a Nest, if you've ever seen those before, the, the little uh, screen on your wall, it's got a little dial on it that you can change and everything. So they essentially, that was like sort of the first demo that I created once I got this all up and running was just like a small thermostat, right? So just on the Flutter device, there's, you know, a small screen that has a circle and, and the temperature on it and you can change it and whatever. So yeah, that was sort of the original use case for all of my work. And uh, it just has sort of bubbled up from there. I mean, that's pretty interesting, like, I'm just trying to think about where the heck would you even start to do something like this? Um, like, how did you even start this process? That was sort of uh, the hardest part was getting started. Um, as it turns out, UI development is like a whole thing that uh, I wasn't so akin to. I, I, don't, I don't even do uh, web UI stuff that often. So jumping right into app development was like sort of... 
um, a big jump for me, I suppose. Uh, it was, it was an experience. A lot of it, the beginning was just like scrounging GitHub, looking for, um, anything that might like sort of help me. We sort of spent, uh, Frank Hunliffe and I spent probably maybe a week just collecting useful GitHub repos. So there are people that have implemented the Flutter engine in Go. Um, that was a, a really useful one, even if I didn't really use much code from it. They, um, the concepts were all very well documented in that repository. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but maybe we can throw it in the notes later. Um, another one was uh, a project called uh, FlutterPy, which was um, some guy, he appeared to be a, a developer at maybe with the Flutter engine, or maybe he worked at the Raspberry Pi Foundation or something, but he, he seemed uh, very like intimate with the details of how the Flutter engine works. And he made this project FlutterPy that was uh, sort of exactly what it sounds like, a project to run Flutter applications directly on the Raspberry Pi. Um, and that was sort of the biggest, the biggest like uh, jumpstart that we found in a lot of like the very first iteration of the Flutter engine that uh, I wrote or that Frank Hunliffe and I wrote was, uh, was based upon that. And the original idea was actually just to, uh, sort of fork that project and, um, maintain like a set of patches on top of it because it really did do a lot of the stuff that we needed. Um, eventually we ended up not going that way and we sort of had to like write it from scratch, but that was a really good place to jumpstart from. That's a good point. Maybe we can kind of roll back a little bit and talk more about, uh, nerves, right? Because you're, I think you're probably on the core team, right? I am, yeah. So maybe we can talk more about what nerves is, uh, because that definitely makes sense about, uh, about why you look at Raspberry Pi, because when you say embedded development, people are usually thinking maybe Arduino or something really kind of low level, but that's not what nerves is about. Oh, uh, yeah. There's like a, uh, a whole class of thought here. Some people get all really, uh, kind of up in the semantics of what embedded really is. And I'm not really here to get into it, but uh, yeah, we, we do uh, anything that runs Linux basically um, will, will be a good candidate to run nerves. So like your Raspberry Pis, your BeagleBump Black, uh, Arduino had a Linux based device for a while. I think it was called like the Leonardo or something like that. Um, back in the day we, we did support that. I don't think they support it anymore. Raspberry or I'm sorry. The Arduino Foundation doesn't support it anymore, so we kind of drop support for it. But uh, yeah, there are a handful of other devices, like uh, there's a couple um, OSD uh, systems chips that you probably have interacted with in your life, but maybe had never actually heard of. Um, and yeah, so the whole idea is to have just the bare minimum of a Linux system to get up and running and booted into an Erlang VM with, uh, that runs Elixir on it. So, uh, if, uh, I don't know how familiar the, the user base is with, with Elixir, but it's just like a, uh, a Ruby-esque type kind of shell around, uh, the Erlang programming language, which is like an old telecoms platform. And it just happens to work really well for embedded due to a bunch of its, uh, promises like soft real time and resiliency and supervision and, and all those fancy things. Yeah. Uh, I've talked quite a few times about, about, uh, Erlang and Elixir on here. And, um, 
we had uh, another guest on here who did that Erlang Elixir backend. And uh, yeah, the, actually, the funny thing is, I believe the, I don't know how much you know about Flutter but and Dart, but have you heard of Dart's isolates before? Isolates? Is that what you said? Yeah. I've heard the concept. I don't know that I've ever actually used it in practice. Okay. Yeah. They, they had this idea of an isolate, which is very similar to an Elixir process, where it's like a separate piece of kind of memory and nothing is shared. And you have to use these things called ports to send and receive messages. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I, we had the creator, one of the creators of Dart on here, and he actually talked about it. And I believe he actually said it's actually inspired from Erlang too, this idea. But he said uh, the only thing that's different is that you can't have like millions of processes like you can on Erlang, right. but that means of isolates. Right. It's sort of an interesting name they chose, Ports. That's a, that's an Erlang concept as well. That's uh, um, actually the Flutter engine that I wrote for Elixir itself is a port, which is sort of funny. So there's a bit of namespace in here, an Elixir or Erlang port, if you will. And uh, basically all that is is just like any any external program can be a port um, in in the Erlang world. And there's a special communication protocol that you can sort of specify that that makes it so you can automatically get native terms in in both formats uh you know so your c and, and your erlang well i mean it's, it's interesting to see that people are actually taking a look at erlang and uh using it in designing more modern more sorry more modern uh languages right especially one with the weird history of dart i think you know about the history where it's kind of supposed to be a better version of javascript i believe and then, then now you have something totally different so we never thought about something like that. Yeah, um, that's how whenever I, uh, I've been talking about this project to people and they're like, oh, if someone asks me, like, what's Flutter? The way I introduce it is just like React Native, but uh, everyone actually likes it. And so uh, that's just sort of my little uh, my little thing that I, I like to say. Um, yeah, that's how it feels like to me is just Dart is like a, a more modern or more sane JavaScript, I suppose. Yeah, we had another guest on here who who's really big into React Native, and he he didn't admit what I said was true, but at the same time, he was still pretty happy yeah. with it, and that's okay. I mean, if sometimes things work for people and it doesn't work, it doesn't work for others. Like for me, Python is just a pain, and I hate using it, but some people really love it, and it looks great for them. So what can I say? Right. Yeah, I mean, to each their own. As long as everyone's happy using whatever their their favorite uh, tools are. Flutter itself has been like a really cool tool for me. I haven't got to use it for a ton of like real projects, but it's just been like kind of uh, like I, for a while I did like just native app development, like uh, Android Studio um, way back in like probably like the gingerbread ice cream sandwich days. That's when I was like sort of uh, into that scene and uh going from that to that was like my last app development experience to Flutter, which was like, you run one command on your computer and then you have like, you know, of course you got to set up ADB or like the emulator or whatever. And there's all that, but just like getting an application running on my device and like hot code reloading and stuff on it was just like a dream experience compared to uh, uh, what I was used to several years prior, I suppose. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like I've, I've only had one computer out of like maybe 12 or so that I've helped install Flutter on that this didn't work for some weird reason. Um, but other than that, like it's been an amazing experience and I'm super happy with it. Uh, but maybe let's kind of get back more to, to like the project at hand, right? So, um, I'm really interested to hear more about like 
So the I believe you said SmartRen helped you ask you to work on porting it over, uh, which is quite interesting. Um, they you get, you got something working by taking a look at like the one in the implementation in Go. You also said you you used a lot of the code from Raspberry Pi, which makes sense because I think you said they used BeagleBone Black or some kind of variation on it. Uh, from what I understand, like I think people don't usually or you shouldn't be using if you're going to do this kind of stuff with your custom board, you can't really use the one from Raspberry Pi, right? Because it's like copyrighted or something. Yeah, there, there's a few different schools of thought on this, and I think it's kind of the same type of people that are saying don't put Arduino in production. Um, so there's like a bit of a uh, maybe grain of salt to be taken with that. I don't know. Uh, my last company, FarmBot, we used Raspberry Pi in production. They still use it today. It, it works fine. Um, I think it's just as long as you know the limitations, you know what you're doing, it's not really as big of a deal. Uh Raspberry Pi Foundation actually has a a sort of a system that they want you to use to put uh, devices into production. They call it the compute module. So it's like this little, uh, I don't think I have one handy on my desk here, but it's it's just like a little board. Uh, the old one used like an old uh, SODIM, like the laptop memory sort of form factor. That's what it looks like. It looks like a, a stick of RAM that you might put in your laptop from five years ago. Um, and so they they basically produce that board and then you design a carrier or you have someone design a carrier that that thing just slots into. So you don't have to worry about all of the like uh, there's like a bunch of stuff you have to worry about when you're designing a board. Like when you put memory on a board, you got to route the route, the RAM, uh, like the traces on the board. You have to route them specially. Otherwise, you'll get like crosstalk and stuff doesn't work. And you get like really weird stuff happening. And so. They sort of abstract all that away from you um, in the same way that in your software, like in Flutter, you don't have to worry about the engine underneath it. You just know that it's like this rock solid platform that you could start with. So uh, yeah, the Raspberry Pi, they, they make a board that is similar like that. So you can sort of do it that way or even just like the like the Raspberry Pi Zero or the, the Raspberry Pi boards themselves. You can You can put them into production. You just have to sort of know the limitations around it. Um, a lot of people, when they are building their own devices, they're going to go with uh, like a BeagleBone because it's a fully open source platform that um, you can actually go like look at the schematics for the BeagleBone Black and they're open source so you can modify them and, and you know work around them as well. So I think that's sort of more of a popular route these days, but um, the Raspberry Pi is just so cheap that it's it's hard to ignore, right? They're $5, so... I think they actually just raised their prices for the first time in existence. They're like 15 or so now, but yeah. Um, when, when we started this project, we started on the BeagleBone, but um, the graphics stack on it is a little bit uh, um, harder to work with than the Raspberry Pi. Raspberry Pi's got very good documentation around all of their graphics stuff. So it, it was sort of easier to get started with it than it was to do uh, the BeagleBone Black after we, we burned a lot of time just getting the screen to turn on on the BeagleBone Black, which it just does that by default on Raspberry Pi. So, All right. So you, you, you switched from, from there to Raspberry Pi. That makes sense. Because this is basically just a POC, right, that you're working on? Um, I would call it somewhere in between. Yeah, I think okay. I think if you, like, I don't know if SmartRent, the company that I was working with for this, I don't know if they're quite putting it in production yet, but I think it's really close to being something that you could put in production. I had a device sitting on my on my desk with an application running on it for uh, 
uh, probably like two or three weeks. And there was no, like, it didn't just like randomly crash or anything. And uh, a cool thing about the Erlang VM is that it's got like the supervision guarantees. Uh, that's sort of its entire concept. So uh, if if for whatever reason you do manage to crash the Flutter engine, which is possible, it's, it's pretty hard, but you can do it um, if you try really hard and sort of ignore the compiler warnings and and start doing wacky stuff you can you can you can get the flutter engine to crash but i guess the cool thing about it is uh you can you you can use Erlang to just restart it whenever that happens and it's pretty seamless um there there's my maybe a second of downtime where the screen goes blank and displays like a, a big kind of wireframe error on the on the screen that flutter is like hey what are you doing stop that and and then it just resets itself. So it's it's a pretty neat little setup. Okay, yeah, I I was actually more interested in, in more about like the development, but I think I'm I'm also kind of interested how this would even work. Uh, but okay, so maybe back to the core. So you got the the engine basically running, and because you used Raspberry Pi, it was pretty straightforward because you already had the existing Flutter Pi, right, right. to work on. Yeah, the project out there called so, Flutter Pi. So how do you actually load the Flutter engine onto an existing Nerves device? You just is that like an overlay or what is that? Yeah, so I sort of fumbled around in my brain for this. A lot of the a lot of the work involved here was uh setting up tooling for it. So um of course you need to have Flutter installed on. So oh for one, I guess I should explain that. Whenever you're doing any Nerves work, you do all of your work on your host machine in the same way that when you're working on a Flutter application, you have all of your code on your host machine, you hit control S and it syncs it over to your device. So we've got that same setup with nerves where you've got the, your nerves device is running and it's got your Flutter code on it. You hit control S on your, on VS code or whatever. Well, I've only tried it in VS code, but I expect that it should work anywhere. Um, you hit, you save the file and it just automatically syncs it to the, the device. And you've got the code running on there, which is like a really cool and really snappy thing. The debugger works. Uh, you can see all of the Dart VM uh, sort of debug capabilities. That's all built in. It's all it all works. Um, VS Code's like uh, like the device browser widget thing that comes up on on like the side pane whenever you're doing Flutter app development. That all works perfectly. Um, so how it works is um, in Nerves we've got this. There's um, it, you know how in Flutter you have the Flutter run command. There's sort of an analogous in Nerves. Uh, we've got this mixed firmware command that uh, will build you this little bundle of code. It's got the Linux kernel. It's got a root file system, all of your uh, Elixir and Erlang code, a bunch of C shims and stuff that all happens in like under the hood for you to set up networking and and all that sort of stuff. And then it also builds. Um, the Flutter engine and um, the little shim between the engine and Elixir that I wrote. And so all of that gets bundled up into this little firmware file. It's a, a .fw file. And you write that to an SD card um, via another uh, another command we can we publish. You can also use stuff like, uh, if you've done anything on Raspberry Pi, you've probably used a project called Etcher. It's just a, uh, like a write it's a project to write image files to SD cards. Um, so once you get it on the device, um, however, whatever method you choose to do so, you put the SD card in there, give it power, and it just turns on, and you, you've got your Flutter app running. Um, 
and it's part of like uh it's part of the Erlang supervision tree, so it just starts up as soon as the the VM starts. And uh, at that point, once your device is connected to Wi-Fi, or I use a, a USB, um, like the, there's a, a thing called gadget mode, which basically makes the Raspberry Pi enumerate as a uh, as a network device, so it gets an IP address and everything, and you can ping it at uh, at nerves.local, and so then. As soon as as soon as the device is up and running, you hit F5 on VS Code, it just connects and you can start writing away all, all your dark code and you know, just it's like a really snappy, really fast development cycle. It's really fun actually. I'm still trying to think about when you boot this thing because I'm so used to booting stuff using like Android Studio where I click the play button and it kind of starts up. So actually you'd have to somehow attach to it. It's in order to sh- push new code, right? Right. So um, I'm just thinking about just the Flutter part itself. Yeah, the the Flutter VS Code um, extension has got like a uh, um, a command built in to attach to a running device. So the, it uses uh, SSH under the hood. Um, so Erlang has a, a built in SSH server, which we use for nerves all the time. So you can get a uh, a running console to the device. And so whenever a Flutter application starts up, it starts up a little HTTP server um, under the hood and it just like randomizes, it picks a random port and uh, to run the debugger on and uh, the observatory URL. So like, you know, when you start a Flutter app, you see that you'll see a observatory URL running at blah, blah, blah. So essentially if you plug VS code into that URL, you can just connect to any running Flutter device. Um, as long as you can give it access to that URL. So essentially what happens is when you hit F5 or like run on your keyboard in VS Code, it pops up a little uh, prompt that asks you for the VM and you just paste it in there and it connects right away. Okay, that makes sense. Flutter has some stuff built in that you can actually um, broadcast, like how Android does it. They um, have like a a little MDMS uh, service, like a service discovery thing in there. And so you can broadcast the service and then um, Android Studio automatically picks it up and does all the tunneling for you. I haven't managed to get that all wired up yet because uh, there aren't any docs for it. And I was just like reading through a lot of dark code and, and I couldn't quite grep what was going on. And, you know, I already had a working solution, so I sort of tabled it for now. But that's like a further improvement that I want to make such that you don't have to uh, paste in that URL. You can just do it automatically. It'll just discover it. Okay. Yeah, that that makes sense. I was always curious why, like, with VS Code, like, I had to do a little bit more, I felt like, as opposed to with Android Studio, I just click play and everything disconnected. But now that makes sense. It's using MDNS underneath the hood. Yeah, there there's, like, a little service discovery system that's built in. And um, the, the cool thing about Flutter is how most of Flutter is implemented in Dart. Um, and actually, just Dart in general. Most of Dart is implemented in Dart. And so it's sort of the same thing as Elixir where you don't have to know a bunch of C. You don't have to be um, like super knowledgeable about low-level programming languages to understand what's going on in the VM because most of it is written in itself. Um, and so it's us us normal non-embedded developers or non-C programmers can kind of understand what's going on. You can see uh, the implementation of you know the MDNS client and things like that. And most of it sort of makes sense to be you know, close one eye, squint a little bit, you can sort of see what's going on. Yeah, I, I remember reading something or hearing something about that where they started, I think they actually switched from C and C++ to Dart because 
you know, when you serialize back and forth between different languages, it definitely gives you a cost, right? And they, and Dart is already really fast as it is. So they were just like, you know what, we can make big speed improvements by just rewriting the stuff in, in Dart and just relying on the AOT to, to make it quick. Yeah. Yeah, that's sort of something I like about a lot of um a lot of the recent programming languages like Rust and Go and you know, now Dart is um I guess everything since it's using like LLVM under the hood, it's all like you can pretty much make whatever language you want and it's just automatically fast due to how the compiler works. And I think that's sort of sort of a really neat thing that we're seeing a lot. I, it seems like there's a resurgence of kind of write your code in whatever language you want and, and it'll just work kind of situations going on. And that's a lot of, uh, a lot of what's going on here. Um, another cool thing about how, um, Dart works or how I guess Flutter works. I'm not sure which one is responsible for this, but you can like when, when you're ready to put this in production, um, for example, you will, you'll compile your, your, Flutter application into like a, uh, it compiles down to like a single shared object file, um, like on Linux or uh, I guess on Mac, it's like a, or on Windows, it would be like a dot DLL, um, dot SO on Linux and, and Mac, I suppose. And the Flutter engine just loads that and, and it's all like, you know, ahead of time compiled and, and all of that fancy stuff. And so it is really fast. And, and that's sort of, that was one of the, um, requirements for, for the um, Elixir Nerves Flutter integration was to have like the production ready app bundles all in that single shared object file and you can just load it right up. Um, and that's a, that's a really cool thing that the Flutter engine does that I've not seen any other um, sort of app framework do. Yeah, actually what I'm kind of curious is does it, does I, I think I was understanding this is that Dart actually uses LLVM on the hood to kind of do the AOT. Is that right? Okay. I was always curious how we could do it. That is correct. I'm not actually like an expert on how it works under the hood. So pardon me if I get like some of the details wrong, but um, a lot of the the magic that's happening under the hood is all based on um, like uh, the CLang compiler and, and, and all that stuff that Google's been pushing forward for the last uh, handful of years. It sort of feels like it's all kind of culminated, like it all ended up at this point of... Um, being able to get Dart running pretty much anywhere. Um, like the Dart VM can run on essentially anything that uh, has like an LLVM backend for, um, which is really cool. I think it's the same way that uh, Rust works under the hood as well. Yeah, I was always kind of curious about how Dart can basically compile to anything out there. So basically LLVM is like the secret sauce that helps yeah. make it work. Yeah, that's that's the the magic and it's sort of a um it's sort of a battle to work with if you're working around it so like for example in in nerves we publish all of our own tool chains and they're all based on gcc and we use a project called buildroot to build like the root file system and such and so all of that is sort of like um for lack of a better word like the old school way of doing it and that's not necessarily like with a negative connotation or anything it's just like what it is. Um, but like LLVM and CMake and, or I'm sorry, CLang and the CMake, uh, kind of tool set around it is sort of like, it's not, it's not really pluggable by design. Um, and so that was sort of like a fight for us. We, we had a hard time using our cross compiler, 
to compile the Flutter engine itself, just because it, it, it's not an LLVM compiler. It's not a, it's not made to, to do this. Um, and so that was sort of like a hurdle that we had to, we had to like kind of climb through. Um, the cool thing about that is Google just publishes pre-compiled binaries of the engine. So I don't know if you've ever compiled the Flutter engine from source. It's a, uh, it's a pain. It sucks. Uh, they have decent docs for it um, to get it. Like if you want to compile it for your Mac or whatever, but if you want to cross compile it, they essentially just tell you um, like, well, you just use the, the Clang cross compiler system. And then you go and look up the Clang cross compiler system and like the docs for it all are like, you should already know how to do this. And so it's like super not user-friendly if you were not already familiar with this stuff. It basically just tells you that you need to know how to do it before you do it. And that, that's just like the docs. And unfortunately, that was just like, we probably burned like a week just trying to get the engine to compile with the right flags and the right uh, paths and the right sysroots and, and things of the sort. And eventually just sort of folded and uses, you, we use the pre-compiled version of the Flutter engine um, just because of how much work it is to compile the engine. And then like the other thing about it is when you, uh, when you um, actually do get the engine to compile, it takes like two hours to run on my machine. I've got a fast machine. And so it's just like, you know, I, I guess the exchange for all of your, um, like that really snappy development experience is that you have to compile everything into the engine. And uh, that's the part that takes forever. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. So I know GCC and, in uh, LLVM, they're always like kind of at odds. People always say it's this one or that one. Which one do you use? And yeah, I think uh, the, but it seems like, mm -hmm. okay. Okay. Uh, the, um, the thing about LLVM is that like the idea is that it doesn't matter what the thing that compiled the host is. LLVM should be able to target that. Um, you know, like it links in like the C standard library and in all of, all of the world that you might need. And it's really, it's really good at being able to, uh, to tell like all of the things you need up front before you like, uh, deploy for lack of a better word, before you put it on your target platform. Um, and so it's able to kind of assemble everything it needs beforehand. And meanwhile, you know, GCC, like when you compile something in GCC, you got to make sure you, you've got the same, like the correct C standard library, um, C++ runtime and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, they, they sort of are maybe opposites, um, opposing sort of concepts that accomplish the same task. And, and I found that trying to combine them together can sometimes be a pain. Okay, that's that's interesting. That's good for you to hear that. Like, I always hear people saying it's GCC versus uh, LLVM, which one's faster? And they say GCC is faster, but LLVM catching up. And like GCC is kind of a little bit slow to evolve, where LLVM kind of came out of the gates rocking because I think Apple was pushing yeah, it. Yeah, that's sort of been my experience as well. Um, uh, I don't really have any like direct speed comparisons of either compile or runtime, but. I do know that like when LLVM works, it works really well. Um, I mean, like that's how you get, that's how you get Rust running anywhere. That's how Go 
gets, you know, their really small binaries that you can run everywhere. Like you just can't do it with GCC without like jumping through a bunch of hoops. And as much as I, I love, you know, GCC, it's, it's near and dear to my heart. It's, you know, the new C compiler, it's what everything in the world is based on. Um, I think LLVM definitely is like catching up. We're seeing this resurgence of one compiler to write everywhere or to write code to, that works everywhere. And, and it's really cool. I like that. I like that all of the tools that I download now are, you know, I can download the same, the exact same file and it runs on my Mac machine and my Linux machine. It's just like everything is out there working correctly. And it's pretty cool. So why do you guys stick with GCC rather than seems like you're starting to kind of like LLVM? Like what's, what's the point? Oh, it's so much simpler. GCC, like they're like, when you don't need to run everywhere, it's just way easier to to work to, to reason about in your head. You don't have to worry about backends and compilers and all of the million and six flags that you have to set to get like just to get the the Flutter engine to compile. It, like you have to have like this this like command that's like you know fourteen lines long with like you know breaks in it and everything just because. Um, all, all of the requirements that you have to set up beforehand, you have to tell it where, where your, uh, sysroot is. You have to tell it where the C cross compiler is, the whole nine yards. Um, GCC is just GCC file dash O output. That's it. That's all you have to give it. Um, and so that, that's sort of, uh, the nerves are, our thing is just like the bare minimum that you are required to, get started or to, to get your application running. And that's sort of our philosophy with everything is um, if, if it's not absolutely required, we don't put it in there. You can add it yourself if you want, but we, we just have the bare minimum. And that like our, if you ever used Raspberry Pi before, you might notice that like it takes forever to boot. And that's like everyone's biggest complaints, right? Like, Oh, I would never put this in production. It, you know, Debian takes 15 minutes to come up and running. And in, uh, with nerves, we, we have like 10 seconds is like probably our, our slow speed, like on the Raspberry Pi 4, you probably got 10 seconds before your app is up. And that's like, you know, magnitudes of different from the stock Debian installation that you get on, on Raspberry Pi. Yeah. So, uh, I kind of want to talk a little bit more about like the comparison between, um, you know, using Flutter with, uh, other kind of things. So I, I tried playing with nerves a few years back and like, I think the best thing that was out there was, uh, you would take Phoenix, which is like the rails of Elixir. And then you could also embed like a WebKit browser to get this thing going. Yeah. That's still really popular. Um, there's a handful of companies that are doing that out in production. It's not my favorite, but when, uh, when you don't have a lot of options, I guess, uh, you know, you can't talk too much smack about it when like uh, the web really is just like the, the lowest common denominator when it comes to like both getting started and finding developers these days. Like if you, if you want someone to make an application, your the developer pool that you could pull from is so huge when it comes to web stuff. Um, the tooling is massive. So yeah, it's really easy just to like, especially with like the new, the new Phoenix live view, um, which is a thing that everyone loves. It's, it's a really cool, uh, project, the server side, uh, server side rendering. It, it does all, all of the magic behind the scenes. It, it 
abstracts away all of the JavaScript and all of the things, and you just get to write Elixir and it, and it makes like progressive web apps. And it's really cool. Um, but I find it to be just like a massive hammer for a tiny little nail. Um, like you write, if you're making a thermostat, for example, that's like where this all started, you know, you have a 10 megabyte JavaScript file for a thermostat, right? It's, it's a, a, a single circle with a single text box that says 70 degrees on it. And right, you've got a whole web stack just for that. And so that was sort of the appeal of Flutter to me is like, you've got the engine, you've got all of the tools that Dart gives you, all of the magic that it does for you. And it compiles down to like this single tiny little file that you throw on, you just throw inside your application and it's completely isolated. It runs in its own little process. And if it crashes, it crashes, it will just turn it back on again. Um, but it doesn't bring down the whole device. And it's just like this really neat replacement, in my opinion, compared to like the web stack that, that you get um, when, you, when you bring in all of Phoenix and, and all that. I'm curious about what's like the resource use of this because I think WebKit was kind of a little bit of a pain to kind of get running. Yeah, that's an. That's and it seemed like there's a lot of stuff too, right? Is it? It's really much smaller, right? And also, how about running the app itself? It's really efficient. It's yeah, the Flutter engine itself is uh, very uh, very kind to to the system. Uh, the Raspberry Pi is a pretty, or the Raspberry Pi Four at least is a pretty beefy device as far as. Uh, as far as embedded goes, usually you're in like the like one gigahertz range with maybe five, twelve megs of RAM or so, like kind of like maybe comparable to like a gingerbread uh, Android phone um, from what like twenty fifteen or or so. That's sort of like that's sort of where um, most embedded devices live, I would say. So the Raspberry Pi four is. Uh, maybe maybe more powerful than that right you get like i think the base model raspberry pi 4 comes with either two or four gigs of ram and four cores and and all that so it's like it's a small computer um more than it is an embedded device but either way the the um the flutter engine is very kind to that device it's it's made to work with multiple cpus it's sort of from the ground up developed for that task rather than a web browser, which was designed back when, uh, you know, devices had one CPU and, you know, memory is quite kind of expendable, right? Like you're used to, uh, your web browser taking up all of your system's resources. And that's sort of not what we want in an embedded device, right? Like it's got to run alongside all of the stuff that it's actually meant to be doing, like controlling your HVAC system or whatever. So yeah, the Flutter engine is, um, undoubtedly much more efficient than just running your your web web browser and that's not to say anything like bad about the web browser i think it's just they're designed for two different tasks so what was the uh the outcome right so how much time you spent and then like what was the the decision after the end of your of your your run yeah so i think i spent probably like a month on this and i got it to a place where like Anyone who is using Nerves could probably, or anyone who's using Nerves on a Raspberry Pi four specifically, um, can like go use this today. I I 
gave a talk on it not that long ago at the at the first nerves conf um a couple weeks ago i don't know if videos are up from that yet but if they are we should link them um and it's really easy to get started um you basically call the the mix there there's a uh an analogous to flutter create in nerves we call it mix nerves.new and it generates the whole project for you and then you can get the you can get your um get your code get that code running on the device and that's really straightforward and like a really well documented process and then you just add as a dependency as a uh, as a as a side loaded or as a uh, package you add the elixir flutter embedder and point it to your flutter app um, I guess the one thing that sort of is unfortunate about it is I was doing all this work right before the null safety update to Flutter. And so I haven't got around to updating it to that update yet. So a lot of the Flutter um, dependencies that you can use from like Flutter.dev or whatever the package manager is for Dart, um, you have to... You have to go back to whatever the last release before the null safety update was because they're incompatible. Um, they made like a binary breaking change. And so that's something I've, it's been like high on my list of stuff to fix. I just haven't been able to get someone to pay me to do it. Um, but that's probably the only caveat, I guess. Um, but other than that, it's still, uh, super, super easy to get started. And, uh, as, as far as like where it's at right now, it's, it's out there. It's open source. It's ready to be kind of used but it definitely um i won't say it's like a perfect experience you're gonna have to like sort of know what you want to accomplish with it it's not just like i I won't say that you can just like casually go put an app out into production it's not quite that easy but it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty close to being like a really good project i'd say and i think right now uh smart rent the company i was working for they sort of had a, a little bit of a priority shift. I think they um, deprioritized the um, the project that they were starting on because of COVID, because of the chip shortage. Um, there's just like a global silicon shortage right now, and um, that sort of affected them. So they've kind of got it on the back burner for for the time being. But I expect that it should be picking back up at some point in the relatively near future. I'd say. Okay, so they, they, it, I had an impression that maybe they, because they, they, I think you said before, like, they're going another direction, but I thought that meant, like, it wasn't fit for their needs or something. But you're saying that it's actually fit their needs and working pretty well, but just because of the ship storage, that's why they have to shift for temporarily, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, that's just sort of, like, a lot of the world is being affected by this right now. It's a, sort of, like, a big deal in the embedded space. There's a lot of... uh a lot of people that are having just like real trouble um, getting their devices out to production because you can't get all of the stuff that you need um, right now because of the uh, car manufacturers and, and such are, are taking up all of the resources for the rest of the world. And it just is like that for the time being. But no, um, the, the project seems to have landed pretty well with... Uh, with the developers that we we tested it with, um, Frank Hunleth is another one. He's the creator of Nerves, um, and and I, I let him play with it. He had he had a good old time playing with it. Uh, the 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 core is rock solid, um, 
and most of that is due to like the existing flutter tooling um i really didn't like i don't want to downplay any of my own work or anything because you know like it was a lot of work but i think that like if anyone really set their mind to it they probably could have accomplished it uh it's not it's pretty straightforward the actual implementation of porting the flutter engine um as long as you know what you're doing and you have like a goal set in mind yeah, we we had a guest on here. We talked before the show. That he ported he ported Flutter to the uh, TVOS, which I think is pretty interesting. He he acted like it was pretty simple, uh, but as you said before, it's not necessarily simple, but also not really difficult. It just takes a lot of time reading and trying. And I'm guessing. Yeah, I think a lot of it um, for me at least, a lot of it was just getting like that. For for me, anything like this, any any of these sort of like. Um, traditionally difficult tasks is just getting the development cycle as fast as possible. And so that's where like, um, of course I'm on the nerves core team. So I kind of know all the ins and outs. I know all of the escape hatches of how you can kind of abuse the system for a little bit more, uh, developer focused speed. And so that's what it was for me. I sort of, I, I was just hammering away at it just like as quickly as possible, reloading and reasserting that I know what I, what I've got going on here, but. As far as the implementation goes, it, you really just um, implement a bunch of callbacks for the Flutter engine. Uh, they they sort of they sort of built this system in from the get go that people are going to want wants to run Flutter in embedded or just like outside of the context of apps, right? Like we see, um, I think with Flutter two point five the um, Flutter is able to run on the web just like out of the box. Of course, you have to worry about like deploying that. And I don't think they do all of that for you, but like just it runs in Chrome automatically. And that's, it's the same system that I use to run Flutter on, um, on, on an embedded device. They just sort of made this pluggable system from the beginning. And, uh, that just makes it really easy. You have to, you have to write some C. There's no getting around it. I mean, I'm sure, okay, yeah, you could do it in Rust. You could do it in Go, any of those other things. And maybe if that's your thing, that works for you. But I know C. I know C++. So that was where I went with it. And, like, you just, they give you six or seven callbacks and you implement them. And it works after that, you know, provided you do it correctly. So once you've those six or seven callbacks, then... Basically, the rest of the work is already being done by the engine. Right? right, yeah. The Flutter engine does all of the hard work for you. You you have to, like, the the callbacks that you get are, like, um, allocating memory, um, uh, setting up OpenGL, setting up uh, device, uh, like, input, like the touchscreen and um, anything like that. You have to set all those things up. Um, so basically, all of the things that the Flutter engine just, like, literally cannot do without a ton of uh, like platform specific code. Um, you have to implement those things. And as it turns out, it's not that many things, right? Like turn on the screen, swap the OpenGL buffers, set up touchscreen. Um, and when, once you have that, that was like probably my biggest surprise once I, uh, once I went in and like sort of implemented myself all of those callbacks, like, I, you know, I hit run on the device and it just ran and it worked. And that was sort of like, you know, like here I am just sitting here poking around and, and it just like worked out of the box. And then, you know, the next step 
that was just like getting it on the screen. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. But I can't do anything because I didn't have the touchscreen set up. So I set up the touchscreen and then like all of the Flutter stuff just automatically worked. I could do HTTP requests. I could use, I could load images from the web. I could do all of that fancy, like all of the stuff that you could do on Android or iOS natively just automatically worked out of the box. That's really powerful. That's what it felt like to me. It felt like it was, it was one of those superpower moments where, um, at the, at the end of all of this work, I just had this, like, like it felt like a native device, basically. Um, there are some, there are some Flutter pub, uh, like pub.dev or whatever applications that don't have, um, like the NFC library. Of course, that didn't work because I didn't wire up NFC. Um, that was one that, um, I've been playing with that a little bit. I've been, uh, on a, on a side project. I, I use that, the NFC library. And that was one that I like sort of half wired up to get to work. And then like the Bluetooth one, of course, that didn't work. Um, so anything that uses any native code under the hood uh, doesn't work. But the overwhelming majority of Flutter packages just automatically work. Yeah, that's actually the the last thing I'm thinking about is like for all these packages, it's always like, okay, we support like Mac OS, iOS, Android. So like if you're implementing the Flutter engine, like how can you have something like this? Um, you mean like on Flutter Pub? Or on like pub.dev where it shows like uh, Mac OS, Linux, like all, all the different yeah, platforms. So let's say for Nerves, you want to implement like the Bluetooth or Wi-Fi, something like that, right? How would you, is there actually, do you actually have any idea how you can implement something like this for Nerves? Yeah, so that was sort of like the last section of work that I did um, for this before I kind of like uh, released it out into the world is... Flutter's got this really cool system. This is another thing that they um, sort of just built out of the gate where they knew you were going to have to write native code, right? So, you know, when you when you generate a new Flutter app and you need to get the battery level, right? Like you have to write like this little snippet of code in Swift and then you have to write a little snippet of code in uh, whatever Java's thing is or uh, Kotlin now, right? And so now on this... Um, on, on the Flutter embedder for Elixir, you have to write that same little snippet of code in Elixir. Um, and so it's just another target that you have to write. And I wired up all of the things behind the hood to make that happen. I had to implement, uh, Dart's, uh, native, like binary protocol, like the implementation of integer and, um, floats, double, etc. I had to implement all of that in Elixir, um, such that you get kind of native, Native implementation just works out of the box, but yeah, that's all it is. You just, um, you use Flutter's, uh, platform channel, I believe is the name of the system. Um, and I'm sure seasoned Flutter developers have probably used it before. And it's the same thing. And you, you know, you write like your app slash get battery level, and then you implement that at Elixir and you just return a float that is your battery level or, or whatever your application um needs and so i've i've implemented a bluetooth application using um the elixir bluetooth stack uh called blue heron that's that's sort of our um our bluetooth stack and you can sort of just pretend that it's not there right you have your elixir dev or whatever you can implement it your elixir developers can implement it someone does and then your flutter code just wraps it and it just works out of the box as well 
Oh, okay. And actually, this should be pretty simple to do because, like, I think the binary matching and stuff. Yeah, like it was so easy. It, that was my funnest part of the project for me. It, it, that's just, like, something I get really excited about when I get to use in Erlang and Elixir. Uh, the binary protocol uh, or the binary pattern matching is really fun to use and feels like a, like a superpower. But um, it took about a day to implement that and uh, get that all up and running. But it, it was really fun, actually. Yeah. Um, I, I was just thinking, like, do you... Maybe like one of my last questions, because we're kind of approaching the end of our time, yeah. is like if you could implement this as uh, for the different platforms, right? This is probably not easy to do because like every like uh, nervous device has different kinds of CPUs and stuff, right? So is that something that's actually possible to do where you can say, okay, if you want to add Flutter to your existing, you know, Raspberry Pi, Big Bone Black or whatever different kind of system you have. Is that like simple to do or that really takes some time to do? Um, I think it depends on how you go about it. For example, Bluetooth, that's something you think that is going to be like different per device, right? But um, we use Linux under the hood. So what what I do or what I think the happy path is for this that um, maybe some people might disagree, but for me, at least in my the way that I've designed everything to work is that you implement it in Elixir, not per your target CPU or per whatever. Um, so Elixir, you're, you're going to have to like jump through several different like hoops to get there, but you still get, you get it in the end. So you start from Flutter, say at the very top, you want to um, connect to a Bluetooth LE device. So you use Flutter's platform channels so you can have like your, your Flutter application looks the same no matter what. Like you can deploy the same application on Android, on iOS, or on Nerves. And it like you don't have to write any different code. And then it uses Flutter's platform channel under the hood. So on, on Android, you write a little Kotlin wrapper around your Bluetooth LE code. On iOS, you write a little Swift wrapper. And then on, on Nerves, you write a little Elixir wrapper. And then, on your view, you go another step deeper and there's already a package out there for Bluetooth. So you just use the existing Bluetooth package and it itself uses Linux under the hood. And then Linux abstracts all the, all of the platform specific code out from you via its uh, module system or whatever. Um, so there's like a lot of hops you have to do. And that's the same thing that, that Android does, right? Like, when you when you write the little Kotlin wrapper, you're using the Android wrapper around the Linux wrapper as well. You're you're doing the same thing. It's just another package that you have to use, another external dependency. Um, yours just happens to be part of the Android OS. So in in our case for Nerves, you're using um, a package called Blue Heron is our Bluetooth library name, um, and it does all of the management for Linux under the hood for you. Um, so yeah, you just you just sort of have to hop through your chain of dependencies to get there. And maybe some people don't, uh, don't like that concept, but it's something that works really well. And I think is really powerful in terms of uh, like how Flutter works. Uh, I really like the experience on how, on how you write platform specific code with Flutter like that. I'm just thinking about like, if I wanted to, because I don't have a, a Raspberry Pi 4, I think I have a 3B or something like, if I want to get that running, then it's not really possible, right? Because what you're saying is that you only got it running on Raspberry Pi 4 in particular, right? Oh, yeah. So that requirement isn't actually just 
because like there's something Raspberry Pi for specific. Raspberry Pi four is just the only Raspberry Pi that allows you to um allows you to set up OpenGL in the way that it does due to a change that they made in the silicon. Um you probably could get Flutter running on the Raspberry Pi 3B. Um, but you'd have to like sort of dig into a bunch of Raspberry Pi specific things. The reason I went with Raspberry Pi 4 specifically is because it uses the generic Linux route. So um any modern device is going to set up OpenGL in a particular way. And it uses a set of standard OpenGL calls that um use a, a system it uses a system on Linux called um Oh man, I can't remember the name of it now. Um, but anyways, there's this new system for opening frame buffer devices on Linux now. And so any system that uses that same or any, any device that uses that same system, then the Elixir Flutter Embedder will work on. Um, so BeagleBone Black supports it. Uh, Raspberry Pi 4 supports it. Um, the a chip I was talking about earlier called, uh, the, OSD32 MP1, it supports it. We haven't tested it and got it up and running, but um, basically any modern Linux device should work with it. And I think the Raspberry Pi Foundation is slowly working on backporting it to the Raspberry Pi 3. Uh, the Raspberry Pi Zero doesn't have the graphics accelerator chip that um, it doesn't have the correct OpenGL setup. So you, you can't, like, even if you really wanted to, you couldn't run uh Flutter on a Raspberry Pi Zero, I don't think. Um, I may be wrong. Someone may be like firing up their keyboard right now about it and telling me how wrong I am, but I'm pretty sure that the CPU itself just doesn't have the right graphics chip. Um, and so it, it's not necessarily that it's specific to Raspberry Pi 4. It should work on any modern Linux device that supports the new Linux frame buffer system. Um, and by extension of that, that means that like, for a lot of the development of this process, I used just my desktop computer. Um, I didn't even use the Raspberry Pi 4 at all. I just I ran it locally on my Linux machine, um, and, and that just worked. Okay, so once you kind of kind of got working on your local machine, then you're saying that that's kind of an almost enough for this to work on Raspberry Pi. Correct. Um, yeah, just due to the new um, how 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 the application opens the. Um, opens the like connection to your graphics card, for example. Um, they sort of made this one unified interface for it, um, the Linux kernel did. And it's kind of a pain because of how generic it is. You have to like you have to jump through a handful of hoops to to make it work. But ideally anything that's anything that uses this new system, so any modern x86 machine um, and then like a lot of the new ARM devices that are coming out are also using the same system because of how generic it is. It's pretty simple to implement. Um, yeah, anything that uses it should just work out of the box, supposedly. And I was just thinking like, because you're already using a piece of, of Linux as it is for, for, for uh, nerves, and there's already like desktop support for Linux in Flutter anyways, so... Like, is there really a lot of work to even do to really make this thing better for nerves? That was sort of like my very first hope was that I could just use the desktop Flutter and better. Um, 
It didn't quite work out because of how many dependencies it uses. Uh, the desktop, the Linux version uses uh, GTK, which is a really powerful framework. And um, it is what it is, but it, it's a it's a, a heavy dependency, and it requires uh, something else to do all the mode setting and 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 all the other magic that happens to bring up a a a frame buffer on a Linux device. So. I wanted to use it because, like, of course, it's already done, right? Like, I wouldn't have had to write any code if that were the case. Um, but it just, it didn't work out that way because of how heavy the dependencies are. Um, the, the Elixir one or the Nerves one specifically is, um, in standard Nerves philosophy, the bare minimum that you need to get up and running. It brings up the, it brings up the frame buffer and it opens an OpenGL context and then it lets the Flutter engine do all the rest of the work. I would really love to see, you know, what Toyota's working on because obviously they're in a similar boat. I, think. I oh man, I missed that when I was like the the initial pass on this was just like spend a week looking for existing implementations and hope that I can find something that I can use as a pluggable interface rather than write a bunch of code myself. Right, like that was the that was the dream. Um, and I missed the Toyota one. It either wasn't published yet, or um, I just missed it somehow. And I found it, someone linked it to me afterward, like after I was already done with the work, someone sent it to me and I was like, no, this is exactly what I wanted. So that's something I want to actually go back and look at and see if it's something I can use because it looks like they did the same thing that I did just more generically. It's not specifically for um, Elixir, obviously. And so I would love to be able to just take all of, all of the, the Toyota connected stuff and then just plug in my Elixir interface to it and then not have to do all of the the frame buffer device overlay stuff myself, basically. That would be really cool. Yeah, so maybe if you ever get some more funding, you could work more on trying to get that one going. I don't know, because I'm sure they, they probably support the null safety because that sounds like a pain to do. Yeah, that, that's been a, a hurdle for me that I just haven't had time really to to go update to the the latest. I think it was like Flutter. Was it, I think, I can't remember the version numbers off the top of my head, but I think we're using like a, a one point something. And then the null safety update was at 2.0, how that worked. Yeah, that was like forever ago, I feel like. Yeah, that, that's what it seems like to me. I, I keep on calling it the new update, but I guess it's not new anymore. It's just new to me because I don't do this stuff every day. No, no, no. But I, I really appreciate uh, you taking so much time to talk about this. And it's been super enlightening. Like, I think I never knew that how Dart kind of worked, but it's using LLVM underneath, which is makes a lot more sense to me. Um, cool. Like, is there uh, anything else you wanted to say before we kind of sign off for this session? Um, I don't think anything I want to say. If anything, I want to plug Nurse Framework. Uh, go check it out if uh, you've got any any need for embedded devices. It's a, it's a really rock solid platform to, to build new uh, IOT type devices on. And of course, you know, please sponsor you to continue your efforts on bringing Flutter to nerves. Yeah, give me more money. I'll, I'll put Flutter wherever you want. <laughs> yeah. Sounds exciting. I, I really would love to have this. Okay. Uh, uh, thank you for, for taking the time to join us and uh, I hope you're feeling much better. Yeah. Thanks so much.